This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist, Summer Edition. Look, we'll be back with our usual program on February the 2nd, but today we've got something a little bit different for you. In this episode... Donald Trump reveals how he personally captured the Bigfoot out the back of George Clooney's ranch using a special net made of weaponized 5G radiation. Nah, that's not it. That's fake news. But how do you sift the phony news from the hard-edged truth, particularly if you're not inclined to just trust the government and mass media? Well, this is the topic of a panel discussion Thomas recently hosted at RenewFest. Uh, It's called The Weaponization of Confusion, and this is actually part two. So if you missed the first half, then why not go back to last week's episode, have a listen to that one, uh, and then come back and check this one out. Otherwise, we'll be back with our usual schedule of Comedian versus Economist on February the 2nd. Not long now. I can't wait to talk to you then. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this discussion. I wanted to, there's a question probably for all three of you, in terms of when you present information, I know that we, we have an agenda, one, to inform, but also to motivate. So particularly around the climate crisis, it's not just we want people to know, we want people to take that next step, to take that information and um, you know, act on it, get involved in whatever it is. Do, do you guys think about that line between convincing and conveying? And how do you walk that line in yourself? I find that responsibility awesome in, in a like awe-inspiring way, scary. I think, um, I, and I feel like I should be very watchful of that responsibility because I see how one, one word has impact. So, um, you know, in, in terms of my written word, I feel like I, I, I need to have a continual self-evaluation going on. There is the kind of the grandiose tendency temptation to try to convince which um, I just find backfire is 99% the response to the attempt to convince and yet truth spoken with intentional vulnerability causes waves may not be the waves you wanted but 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 good waves that that's been my experience um, shifts so um I'm, I'm, I'm growing increasingly resistant of the idea of media being this person gives information. There's a duality, there's a relationship. Um, I think that the um, change comes from the quality of the contact, not how nicely we present 
but the quality of the interpersonal contact. I, I, I don't know if that's a little bit abstract right now, but that's what I want to deliver. I, and I feel a lot of hope in that, actually. I, um, I don't understand systems well enough, institutions, to be able to comment. My lens is always focused on culture, and where I get hope from in that is that looking at history, over and over and over again, moments of great change is when despair came, mini apocalypse, and trust in the tower failed, right? You know, they translated the Bible out of Latin into English, or they, you know, endless stories of that nature. And we're so in that point. If you look at any surveys about trust in institution, they're an all-time low, and they're they're plummeting. So, um, you know, I I think the privilege that I have to have been allowed the audacity to say things out loud. Um, I should be going to bed at night, troubled by that, worried about what I said. Um, but trusting people, not wrapping myself in the wrist so much, trusting people, always ask what the agenda is. You know, I'm not just a good uncle. I'm wounded. There's always going to be some kind of an agenda. And the macro level with the corporate thing, um, uh, or, or, or on a smaller level, we, we, the, the little devil in us always wants to influence and convince. Watch out for that. Everybody watch out for that. So I think that the culture that gives me hope is the culture of healthy skepticism. What is the agenda? If you give me three words, you give me one meme, where are you coming from should be my first question. And then I'll examine your meme and see what I take in. Wise shopping of information. So it's a, it's a relationship. It's not just the media. It's us. Craig is going to pull you in there. Like you know, you do a lot of campaigning work. How, do you think much about that line between information and convincing? Yeah, of course. Um, I'll yeah agree with Robin, and it's about personal interactions with people. The only we've done a lot of research, I guess, through campaigning, and what you can do after an election is you can ask people why they voted the way they did. Like, did you see a billboard? How did it affect your vote? Did you see a television ad? How did it affect your vote? Nothing affects anyone's vote except talking to someone else or talking to the candidate and trust in the candidate. Um, which is really interesting as a campaigner for a party which has limited funds because the Greens don't take corporate donations. So, but what the Greens does have is a lot of volunteers. So you can leverage people power and you can win seats but only when you've got lots of volunteers. So the Greens have only really won seats in places where they've got lots of volunteers. Central Brisbane, Central Sydney, Central Melbourne, and here. This is the state's only state seat out of the city that's held by the Greens. Um, and yeah, Mandy Nolan. <laughs> Holy shit, she's amazing. She's trusted. Yeah. Tell, tell your friends, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation around Mandy. <laughs> Damon, you got any thoughts on that? Um, just quick, I, I guess there's a responsibility that every one of us has. I, I think the, that, interne that internet space or media space is like a collective hive mind in terms of that cultural narrative that we're all contributing to. So we all have a responsibility to make sure that we know what we're sharing and have we done the deep work required before we share that because are we polluting the space or are we bringing 
cleanliness and hygiene to the space and i think we can all take that responsibility especially as filmmakers like i know if even for 2040 like gosh there would be 150 different experts we fact check cross check did screenings for um some of them didn't like it got pushed back like it was a really messy time but i felt very proud when it went out that it was robust and that we could actually stand by it because that work had been done and i feel especially when we're sharing it with children and a wider public that we we have to take it that seriously um and i think that's incumbent on anyone and that can be someone as i said just sharing a post like what are you actually sharing it sharing where did it come from and do you know have you looked at the parallel argument the opposite argument and just got a sense of whether it's right or not if not don't share it if you're absolute though contribute it but just be aware of it this this feels like a, something that i feel like as change makers we're constantly bump, bumping up against is that the real deep work that we want to do is slow that our opponents aren't doing the fact-checking. They're not thinking about what they're sharing. And I feel like this is just another place where we're at a disadvantage. Um, and ev even talking about let's, let's get that personal connection going and, and take that time to have one-on-one -on -one connections, again, that feels slow and that, that part of me that's in crisis and, and anxious and wanting to change things quickly is a bit despairing to hear that. And I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe a great documentary has the ability to, to like has a great leverage to shift a lot of people at the same time but are we saying we've just got to accept that it's that we've got to be slow keep that in mind and actually no don't, don't jump in on that I was just going to say uh, yeah th there's a pretty damning stat around that which I think is that um, outrageous content gets shared 60 times 60 more times than regular content like if it's got an emotional hijack element to it people are more likely to share it on without cross-checking so that that again is an architectural flaw because the Facebook and, and Twitter algorithms are, are geared to promote those things because then that gets more clicks and they sell that data and then they make more money it goes all the way up the chain so this again is the regulation story like yes we can do our, our bit but we've just forgotten that this is a democracy and we've let these corporate behemoths and across all industries hijack our democracy. And this was a, a big motivation for making, making 2040 because they are all thinking about 2040 right now. They're designing that future while we sit there and fight each other online. It's exactly what they want. Like they love us being that docile and getting caught up in the minutiae of this argument and, and, and a thread of 300 comments. So we've got to rise above that, you know, and actually re-empower ourselves. Um, to reclaim a bit of the future we want. So we can't forget we are democracy. I might invite all three just on one, one question, question here. So I want you to imagine that I have a brilliant misinformation campaign that is going to flip a whole bunch of conservative voters and take them progressive and get them voting green. Should I do it? Given, given that it, we're in crisis, it seems like we're running out of time. Seems I, I would say no. That would be my answer. I would say... Um, sorry, jump in there. That I, no, I, I agree. Um, I'd say no too. I'd say that, um, that we are social animals and we adhere to norms. When, when we know what the norms are, we will follow each other. At the moment, those norms are being shaped by interests that don't, we don't agree with. But there are ways to infiltrate the current storytelling devices to steer them for good so i think of example like um the block one of those renovation shows 
Imagine we made a event renovation show that was about making your house as sustainable as possible, but we still used all the devices of the sexy young couples and we made that a cultural acceptance. Suddenly people would start doing that because other people are doing it. And there's really robust studies on that. If someone puts solar panels on their, on their roof, the chances of their neighbour putting solar panels go up exponentially because we all are sharing what the right thing to do is. We all know there's a crisis. We just need those cues from each other. So I think the way to do it is to, is to infiltrate culture. That, and that comes by you yourself at the restaurant asking about the quality of that meat or I'm not going to have meat or what do you do with your food waste? Like that's how we shape culture and get these conversations to come out and suddenly they become the norm in five or ten years. So it's just to me feels like a healthier way of doing than sinking to those levels and playing those tricks because you know you dance with the devil that's what happens. I think we've got to reboot this whole way of approaching and humanize these issues for God's sake and actually treat each other like humans because we've just we've stopped doing that on social media. Same here. And what, for the same reasons? For sure. We can't do the things that the... You can't change the system by doing what the system's doing. You, know, you, you need a new system and a better system. And currently, the system is built on lies. And we all know it. Robin, your thoughts? I know that I would feel sorely tempted to lie for the cause that I believe in. And, and, and I know that that makes me the same fundamentalist as all of the fundamentalists that I've ever walked into. And um, uh, fundamentally, no pun, that would speak of not trusting the process. And I, w I would want to ask why I, I, I'm not trusting the process. I think it's helpful to the heart, to the stress level, to resist the temptation to hunger for big change events like... Why can't we have a Green Prime Minister? Well, the, the, the day that happens, you know, oh my God. But that's not to get addicted to, to the excitement of that, that. That's the one, like big events is the way things change. The things, the new normal creeps in silently and unseen while you're worrying about the thing that isn't happening over there. And if, you, if we turn back and go... Who are the tree huggers now? 20 years ago, you wouldn't be a tree hugger without dreadlocks and, and, a, and a dope habit. There, there's been a, a mainstreaming of so many concerns that are actually planetary loving kind of concerns amongst the people. So there's a tiny 1% that are, that are, that are holding some control. Uh, I don't have the answers to that have a little bit of hope because towers always fall in the end this one's going to fall the one the one huge trigger for the big leaps is when everything's broken the wheels have come off the bus and we crash and you know our, our country is on fire was on fire we crashed i think this is the apocalypse for neoliberalism it's you, 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 there's signs of it happening already uh but no i would not deliberately i think that would undermine a cause to deliberately like that'd be a short-term gain i think and a long-term disaster and we don't need it we don't need that All right. mm. so if you're thinking of running a misinformation campaign maybe yeah check yourself <laughs>
I want to kind of go to one more question. So one of the things I felt a lot of grief around during 2020 was the way I felt like I, I found a really struggle. I struggled to get into what felt like healthy conversations. I felt like triggers were sort of like really were everywhere. It was sort of really hard to engage. I felt people like really polarizing into different camps. And so I wonder, like, if we sort of step leaving the, the information and the facts to one side, but I wonder, is part of our problem here that we don't know how to sit with difference and difference of opinions? And what might a sort of a road to being, being able to hold that look like? I think it depends if we're speaking about online or in real life. I think we're very good at that, but we've just... Um We've forgone that because of the way we forgone that because of the way we're interacting with each other online, um, and it, ultimately I think it's 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 about deep deep listening, cultivating a deep listening that we don't have to have the answer. And and often people who's um, and I've experienced this quite a lot with people that completely vehemently disagree with me, but once we get past that and I don't respond or react, we find multiple things that we have in common, and suddenly we're having a great conversation. It's fine, but we're not letting ourselves get to that point. We're, both, we're all putting up our defences at that first roadblock and the whole thing falls apart. So that comes back, if we're going to do that online, to developing better tools. But, you know, I think in this moment we have to be brave to do that with our friends and family and loved ones. And it hurts and it's painful, but this is the way through. We can't regenerate the planet if we can't regenerate ourselves or our connections, you know. And it, it is difficult work, um, but... It's, it's, we all, far out, we need courage in this moment for a host of reasons. But that's, that's the big one, I think, is let's start listening to each other. Yeah, I, I think we don't need all men pa panels in yeah. Renew. That's not the Renew world. I think we need to hear for some women. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite Helena before she has to rush off just to say a few words here. Thanks, Damon, for giving up your seat. Well, I, this morning I was doing something a bit like this. Maybe some of you heard that. But, yeah, I, I believe that... We are in a situation where we d need to turn face to face and as Damon was saying, really understand that difference between how we relate to one another face to face and how the internet as a technology of speed, reductionist thinking works against us. So we need to be thinking very carefully now about how to use that tool and about how to regenerate face to face communities we, in our work, promote what we call localization. It's very much about building the local community fabric as a matter of urgency. As we get overwhelmed and frightened, one of the best things we can do is to find a few people to connect with at a deep level, at the and really in circle, slow down the conversation to a deep listening where we are allowed and encouraged to be vulnerable, to be imperfect, to not know, to not be, you know, to essentially share the fact that we are all human and imperfect. As we connect at that deep human level, we grow stronger, we grow, we, we have then the strength to confront a system which is actually inhuman. It's a machine-like algorithmic structure now that is enabling this worldwide wealth creation which in every country, including my native country of Sweden, is widening the gap between rich and poor as we speak. And everyone can see is fundamentally wrong. 
from our point of view, we are not stepping back enough and taking the time enough to really try to understand why this system is so wrong, how it's so wrong. Robin and, well, everyone has been talking to some extent about regulation. Well, we started looking at the deregulation of global players about 35 years ago, and I ended up setting up a group where we studied the process of deregulating global banks and corporations through treaties. This is the main reason we are in such a mess. These last 30 years, we've seen a massive escalation in emissions, in illness. I was just hearing statistics today about the increase in autism, in Alzheimer's, in Parkinson's, and it's linked to the increase in the power of corporations that operate as machines to <laughs> inflict toxic, inefficient methods of food production, of house building. So we do have this very frightening big system, but the main reason it's still growing is because we are not sitting down and taking the time to reflect more deeply on understanding why. Why are we seeing a confluence of social and ecological breakdown? And so I am always trying to plead with the Greens, as now Naomi Klein is also doing. I'm really thrilled that she's saying very clearly, climate activists, please address the economic structures so that you can talk to people who are petrified because they are not able to pay the rent. They're worried about being able to send their children to school because the same pressures that are increasing emissions are increasing economic insecurity for the vast majority of people, even in the middle classes. And they are turning away from a purely green message. We have so much evidence whereby we can talk to them about, this is about your job and livelihood and about the planet. So let's put out that bigger picture. So my big plea is the big picture is what can save us, but let's do it in, in a group. Let's start, change the I to a we and start forming some of the structures at the, at the local level that are essential for our future. And among those fundamental structures are more localized, diversified food systems instead of vast agribusiness monocultures that are antithetical to life and that demand chemicals, herbicides, fungicides, glyphosate, all of that. The shift in the local, the, towards a local diversified food economy we see as something we can get on with right now as a matter of urgency and as a matter of healing ourselves and the planet. But let's not rest with that either. Let's also look at that need for regulation at the global level. And please, simultaneously, look at the over-regulation at the local level. So we have a system where our governments, including in Scandinavia, deregulate global business while our taxes go to regulate us when we want to build a new, a new addition to our house. The house, Mother Gaia, is being polluted and poisoned, and there's no regulation there. But if we want to build an extra room in our house, we're not allowed to do it because regulation is imposed on us. So there is a very fruitful discussion about that deregulation globally, overregulation locally, squeezing the local for taxes, individuals and businesses, while subsidizing global monopolies. So there is a big picture story that I think is very helpful. 
Thank you for giving me a chance to say that. Elena Nobel Prize. Thanks, Elena. I, I do want to acknowledge that this panel ended up a little sausage heavy, but we. <laughs> Uh, at, at Renew Fest, it's, it, is, it is something we are conscious of and we're quite proud of in the programming that we, um, I think we're in about 60, 40 female to male this year. So I want to acknowledge that this, this panel is an exception. It just kind of just landed it this way. Just want to recognise that. But thanks, Elena. Uh, Craigus and uh, Robin, want to bring you on that last question about promoting that harmony, being able to deal with difference. I'll have a chat, but um, <laughs> it's hard to follow up these two <laughs> legends. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess in my sev um, the last seven years, I've been campaigning all over Australia, and through that, I've talked to maybe ten thousand, at least ten thousand people, one on one. Um, before that, I've done street fundraising, where for a year I talked to ten thousand people, one on one, um, and yeah, again, listening is everything. And people were so unused to being listened to that when you listen to them, they'll do anything for you. <laughs> and as a fundraiser, that was great. As I made a million dollars for charities that year, just talking to people. And as, as a campaigner, you know, we've changed a lot of seats and got a lot of laws changed in Australia just by being a, getting someone elected in a position where it just tips the balance. And that balance exists in federal government in Australia. And it can just tip with one seat and with someone that speaks the truth in the way that Mandy does that could really make a difference to Australia and to the world. If Australia's looked at, you know, it's changed a lot how Australia's viewed by the world. I travel a, a lot, well I did until about a year ago. Um, and and Australia, if Australia changes, is the end for fossil fuel. There's not many places doing what Australia's do does, and it's not as strong as people think. Um, it's very likely, you know, Labor will win government, and then they might have to film government with a bunch of uh, independents and minorities, including the Greens, which will force them in the direction we want to go at a critical time. Um, and that comes all the way back to campaigning and listening to people. And I mean, the next two weekends we're going out and listening in towns all over this region because we all have our ideas of what we should do but we need to listen to what p other people think we should do so yeah we're doing that next weekend if you want to help out that would be awesome to volunteer and the weekend after but yeah I think yeah the only way to get through to people is to listen to them because everyone's got a story and no one makes their decisions for no reason and I've talked to people that vote for Scott Morrison there are thousands of them and I understand why they do. Not many people understand why they do. And our collective, progressive view, we're like, what are they doing? They're just greedy assholes, whatever. It's not true. They have a reason and it makes sense to them. Yeah. Thanks, Graham. I really super agree with that. I think that the art and the faculty of, of, of listening to one another is spectacularly missing from from society and culture and it begins in early childhood children are not listened to they're so desperately not listened to i i can count on walking into any supermarket 
and know that within a two minutes I'll hear a, a, a baby screaming, crying to be touched and held and that the parents are just chit-chatting to each other. There's a screaming human being there and no one's paying attention. It begins from there and goes right through, you know. Um, what are they, what, are, what Traditionally, what do we say to kids? You know, um, be quiet and, you know, seen and not heard and all that stuff. And the commandment, one of the Ten Commandments is respect your parents. There's no commandment about respect your child. So we are, we're born into not being heard. How do we trust listening that our identities won't be threatened by, by listening? So there's a, there's a great presumption of polarization. You know, that you're the coal guy and you want the economy and I want green and it's going to be bad for the economy. And, and in that kind of... Uh, I, I guess th that's a fertile ground for manipulation of a, a, of a country, you know, the divide and conquer kind of thing. Uh, like my artist friend said, whoever holds the memes holds the people. You know, the meme that presumes polarity, which says economics and ecology are two opposite poles. You compromise one or the other. Um, and it's one of those overpowerful beliefs that we don't even ask the question, is that true? It's an assumption that we live out of without examining it and opening up. And that's just one example of many. Freedom is good. Well, look, like Helena said, look who the freedom goes to. Freedom is good. We're the free people. Freedom is a meme. What do you mean by freedom? Where's the limits? Freedom to do what? Hang on a minute. So, um, but like you guys were saying, that, that um, it, it's actually a beautiful and a very courageous exercise to intentionally, deliberately go find somebody from the other political camp as if there are camps. Perceptually, we're locked in thinking that there are camps. And listen, and by golly, you start to get the other side. And it's very, very uplifting, actually. Your own, uh, my, I've had that happen to me, my own fundamentalist desperate voice softens. I start to see. There's a lot of th stuff about capitalism. I think it's absolutely beautiful, um, if that's a safe thing to say. <laughs> it's, a, it's an economics podcast. You just go nuts. I, I, I can get away with <laughs> yeah, that here. <laughs> my ignorance is my shield. But, yeah, I think, I think that's... That's my answer. So there you go, folks. That was the weaponization of confusion. I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, we'll be back with Comedian versus Economist on February the 2nd, which, if I'm not mistaken, is next week. I can't wait to talk to you then. Bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.